TYB on the run. Welcome to Philippians 2. We are in this incredible prison letter. Paul is in prison writing this letter and talking about rejoicing again, learning to be content. We're going to talk about in in Philippians 2, and I really want you to notice this as I read this over you, the power of the mind. And this is what we're going to talk about as we study Philippians 2. So let's read it. Imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now we're in Philippians 2 and this incredible account 
follows what we saw in Philippians 1, this essence of how is Paul in prison rejoicing? How is he able to maintain that joy in the midst of adversity? And the thing that when you read these letters as a full letter, you don't just pull out verses and think, um, you know, know the verses, you know the context and the key of those verses because you've read it in the context of the letter. Now, the thing about Philippians 2 is Paul is saying, do you want to know how I can rejoice in prison? Do you want to know how I, things can be going bad and I can look at them in a good light? The how I do this is in Philippians 2. And he says this, absolutely love it. He says, um, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is passionate about the mind. And in most of his letters, he mentions the mind. Why? Because he knows that if your mind is fixed on good and godly things, that's why it's so important to read the word of God, to have that word of God in your brain. Because if your brain reverts straight to the word of God in circumstances, it is a solid foundation to get through anything that you face. Paul knows that the mind cannot be controlled no matter what the circumstances are. Your mind can have hope and joy and 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 be positive when you focus on good things. We know this because later on Paul is going to talk about, you know, in in um the circumstances to Focus on whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is true. And he says, focus on these things. Why? He's in prison and he's focusing on the good things that are about to happen. He's focusing on the blessing that the Philippi church is. And this is what Paul says. I love it in Romans where he talks about renewing your mind. In Romans 8, he talks about having your mind set on the spirit. And Paul in this letter over and over again says, have your mind right. Get your mind right. Can I say that when things go wrong in your life, the first thing to, the first battle, Joyce Meyer says that the battle is in your mind. You've got to win that battle in your mind that God is always good and that things are going to work out for good. And Paul says in Philippians 2, let me show you the mindset of Christ when he went from heaven to earth. Now, this is so incredible that we can kind of delve into what the mindset of Christ was when he chose as God to empty himself and come down. And this is what Philippians 2 is all about. He introduces it in this next section. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other of others. Can I just say, this is so countercultural to the world today. Everybody is treading on everyone else to get the best Instagram account or the best likes and everybody's pushing everybody down, even mocking people to get, you know, YouTube clips that that get these likes and we we are doing so much out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. I sometimes I go on Instagram and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, how how can this is full of selfish ambition?" But my Bible clearly says, guys, and as Christians do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does that mean? Do nothing that puts you above somebody else. Do nothing that that pushes your way in to put you above. Why? Because Christ didn't. Christ emptied himself so that we may have salvation. And Paul continues, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. In a society where it's all about us, 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 me, 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 
the Bible talks and counterculturally says, value others above yourself. And then out of this, out of this incredible statement, he says, let me show you the greatest example of this. Let me show you who you are to model and who you are to follow. And it is introduced by this statement, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what is he about to do? He is about to say, when you deal with other people in your relationships with one another, this is what your mindset has to be. Not selfish ambition and vain conceit. Be Christ-like. And he's about to explain what Christ-like is in the mindset of Christ as he comes from heaven to earth. Now, let me, this is what's called a Christ hymn. If you have a look at it in your Bible, it's got different formatting. And they say it was actually a hymn that they sung in the first century church. Um, just because it's a hymn doesn't mean that it has any less power. It just um, really shows this incredible theology of God coming to earth. And he says this, who being in very nature, God who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, firstly, number one point of this is Jesus Christ is God, who being in very nature God, he is the only person that has every right to be vain and to have ambition because he is God. And he says, who having every right to have vanity and to have that arrogance chose not to, chose to let that go and did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Another version says, did not consider equality um, with God to be grasped, something to be grasped, meaning to hold on to it like your life source. Some of us, I can you know, see even in myself, I hold on to things because that's where my identity is coming from. And I end up being bad to other people because my identity is in ambition and in vain conceit. And and Paul's saying here in this Christ hymn, God had every right to be proud and he let it go. And then we have this trajectory or this downward spiral of Christ's thoughts of humility going from God down to earth. And he says this, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, can I say, guys, in in 2020, the nature of a servant sounds quite um, holy. You know, oh, he's a servant. You know, he's got that beautiful, humble nature. No, servant in first century is, is not something that you would do by your choice. If you become a slave, if you become a, a servant, you are, you are, you don't want to become a servant. You are ended up being an asset to somebody else. It was a horrible, and everybody was working to try and become free after they were put into slavery. And Paul says here, Christ emptied himself of being God. And when he came to earth, he didn't come to earth as a king. He came to earth as a slave and he chose the lowest form, almost the lowest role by choice, a slave by choice was crazy in the first century. And he's saying, my Christ became a slave by choice to save you. And he's, it's, it's almost like a guilt trip of how much more should we be a slave by choice to help to, in our relationships with one another if Christ can do that. And then he says, being made in human likeness. Now, I know as a human we go, what's wrong with being human? But for creator God to become created is a step down. He was made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And this death is, it's not the last trajectory. It's not the last uh, rung on this ladder. Death wasn't even the lowest, lowest thing that Christ could do. He says, no, no, no. He didn't just become a slave, a human, a man, and then died. He died the lowest death, which is death on a cross. And you can feel when people were probably reading this letter of Philippians and they're like, I'm so vain in my relationships. I should be humble. I should be taking care of one another. I should be choosing the lowest seat at the table. I should be putting others above myself. Why? Because this model of Christ, this is what Christ did for us. And then the key to the whole scripture is this therefore. It says in 2.9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This therefore is the changing trajectory. It's down humbling, 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 and Christ chooses that section. It says he chose to let it go. He humbled himself. He made him, can you hear that? He made him, he took on the very nature of a servant. This wasn't imposed by God. This was a choice of Christ to do this. And because he chose the path of humility, God exalted him. And I love this. It says, therefore, God got involved and exalted him to the highest place. And then the trajectory goes back up, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then it's, so it kind of goes beyond heaven because you, can you feel that we went from being very nature God, but when the trajectory goes back up, it actually goes beyond heaven because it says in heaven and on earth now is his authority. Because he humbled himself, he was actually given greater authority. This is just incredible. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I have to say this is so countercultural because everybody is pushing and vying for attention and fame and all of this sort of stuff. And the scriptures clearly say that if you humble yourself, if you choose the path of Christ to be humble and to, to pour yourself out, like Paul says, like a drink offering for others, then God will exalt you but you have to choose the door of humility before God exalts you. And I love this sense of our model being Christ. Because Christ did this, we choose to do this. Because he chose to be a servant, we will choose to be a servant in our relationships with one another. And again, it's the mindset of Christ. He, in his mind, made the decision to humble himself and therefore God exalted him. Now it keeps going, oh my gosh, Please study this on the um, TYB Trash Your Bible website, guys, because there's so much more I could go through on this. Um, he talks about working out your your salvation. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering. It's got this same essence all the way through this letter of humility and pouring yourself out for others. And then he gives you two models, these two quick models of we've got this pinnacle model of Christ emptying himself. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to give you two earthly models of people emptying themselves. And he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, he talks about, um, I love this, it says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. And he says, you know what, everyone else is, is looking out for their own ambition, but let me give you another model to follow, and that's Timothy. And then he does this crazy little story about Epaphroditus. Did you hear it? Epaphroditus was originally from the Philippi church, and he took money. Well, they were giving, gave him money to take to Paul. How do we know that? Because it says, 
Um, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And now these needs, we know we're in a letter of financial friendship. So these needs could have been money. And he gets really ill and almost dies. And Paul is actually saying to the to the church in Philippi, who probably think he stole the money, he didn't steal the money. And yes, you, you probably heard that he was ill. He was so ill, he almost died. And that's why he hasn't come back to you. And now I'm about to send him back to you. But he finishes with this statement again of this example of a person who pours themselves out. It says, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Again, in Philippians 2, we have these incredible example of Christ. Have that mindset of Christ that chooses to not have selfish ambition or vain conceit. We go back, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's our goal today, guys, to have that same mindset of Christ that values others above ourselves.